son of suffering Jesus, we love you, we worship you. Thank you for your stripes uh, by which we are healed. Thank you for rescuing us from our sin and our, our pain and our despair. Um, we love you, Jesus, and we celebrate you this morning. Amen. Amen. All right, can we just affirm the worship team? What a beautiful job they did, as always. All right, so, kids, I got a special prop today, and I got a special, I know, he's like, he says that every week, but um, I also have a, a special kids' message today. All right, so, uh, what is today? Don't say Sunday. It's a special Sunday. What is it? Do you know? What's next week? How about next week? Let's try that one. Isaac, what's next week? Well, today's Palm Sunday. Good job. All right. So next week is what? Easter, Easter right? Okay. So here's what we're going to do. I've got this, we've got this egg here, okay, that is going to go on a journey with you this week. Okay. It's going to begin with Palm Sunday, okay, and it's going to go every day this week. You have homework. I know. What? You can't give me homework. I can. All right, here, here it is. You have to go on to the, the Kids Ministry, Children's Ministry Facebook page, okay? And Mr. Josh is going to have a selfie video up there. It's not going to be me this time. Every day he's going to take you through one step getting us from Palm Sunday, which I'm going to do today, until next week when he's going to be up here doing the kids' message for Easter Sunday. What? So you have to be sure you're here for that, right? Okay, so I'm going to read today's, I'm going to read today's Palm Sunday message. I was reading it this morning, and I was so thankful that I got to rehearse doing so many uh, readings to my kids when they were little. My son Marty's favorite book was Fox and Socks. So when you can get through that one, you know, that tongue twister, you can read anything out loud. So here we go. All right, ready? Why do we celebrate Easter, and what does it really mean? Is it the bright colored eggs and baskets, or the beginning of a flower-filled spring? Easter is a time of beginnings, and a time for fresh new starts. It's a time for us to remember the true king of our hearts. It's a time for us to thank him. It's a season for us to praise to celebrate the Lord our God who knows each one of our days. Amen? All right. So you have to make sure you check in every day and make sure that Mr. Josh got the video up and that he did a good job. And if he didn't do a good job, you need to let me know. Okay? Can you do that? That's your homework? All right. Thank you so much. You can go to class. It's unlike any other kids' messages that I've had to do, but I enjoyed that one. I enjoy them all. I, I was like on my third cup of coffee this morning. I was a little run down. Thought, you know, the coffee's just not doing it. I don't know what's going on. And then um, Cadence came running over and gave me a hug, which um, all of a sudden everything was good. And then I was up and I was like, hey, okay, all right. So, um, so it's nice to see uh, everyone here today. We have a, um, uh, a visitor from Georgia on behalf of Tennessee. I want to apologize for our indecisive weather. Um, we're trying. We're going to get it worked out, right? Yesterday, we were at the Pollards. We were uh, helping them put together a greenhouse, and it was so cold that I couldn't, I had gloves on, and I could not feel 
my fingers. You know that where they get so cold, they're starting to burn a little bit? And we kept, you know, is it spring? Is it really spring? It's spring, isn't it? It's spring. And, and today, I was informed by my wife that it's 71 today, and she wants the grass cut. So um, that's what I'm going to be doing after church today, my friend. All right, so um, good morning officially to those of you that are watching online. Good morning to those of you that are here. Uh, it is Palm Sunday, but this week we are continuing actually on in our series through the Gospel of Mark that's called the way and last week didn't didn't switch over there it is last week we talked a little bit about Jesus's teaching style if you were here we talked about his use of parables and and how they were effective because it helped people not only to remember right even if they didn't understand they could spread these parables to other people like seeds okay like spreading seeds and, and Jesus talked about that specific parable about the sower the one who scatters seeds or the the gospel message and and how that the soil is us it's how we potentially receive the word and the pitfalls that can get in our way and this week since we've established Jesus as a healer we've established him as a teacher as Lord of the Sabbath we're going to see how Mark is going to use examples to show Jesus's full authority. His authority being fully God and fully man. And remember that Mark's gospel is the action gospel, okay? It's the one that showcases more of the things that Jesus does and less of the words that Jesus uses. So we're going to be spending time today trying to better understand this dual nature of Jesus through the acts that he performs and what we witness through these accounts that that Mark records so if you have your Bibles handy we're gonna still be in Mark chapter 4 at the very last section beginning in I believe it's verse 35 yes um, and let me pray for us before we get started today Lord we come to you now um, thankful thankful for who you are thankful for uh, for Jesus, who is fully human and fully God, for the authority, for the power, for the mercy, for the love, for the grace, for the beauty. Lord, our desire in these moments as we study your word and as we gather together to uh, just to interact with each other is for one reason and one reason only, and that's to know you better, to understand you. So God, today, um, just give us new insight. Help us to understand you so that we can grow closer to you, so that we can um, develop a stronger trust and more faith. And we pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. So the great mystery of the incarnation is that Jesus is both fully God and fully human. It's kind of hard for us to wrap our brains around that. In the first century after Jesus had uh, left earth, there was a, um, a, uh, a section of Christianity that, that kind of grew up, uh, a group of people that were called the Gnostics. They believed that, um, uh, that flesh was inherently evil. And so there was a section of, of Gnostics, uh, they were called, uh, it was called Docetism, 
And Docetism is this belief that Jesus wasn't fully human. It comes from a Greek word which means to seem. It's like Jesus only seemed human. He was basically like in sort of a, uh, a fake, you know, spiritual body. It was sort of an illusion kind of thing. And, and that's, it's such a, a, a bad heresy because it was critical that Jesus would be fully human and fully God. It was part of his perfect identity because he had to identify with us as being fully in the flesh. He had to have the ability also to not only identify with us, but to transcend that through being fully God as well. And again, that's a very complicated thing for us to get our head around. So we go back to scripture where they don't lay out the instruction manual and say this is how and this is why, but we see through observation in the Gospels how this can be actually very true. So we're going to begin today in Mark chapter 4 verse 35, a very familiar story. It says this, on that day when evening had come, he said to them, he being Jesus, let us go across to the other side. And leaving the crowd, they took him with them in the boat, just as he was. And other boats were with him. And a great windstorm arose. And the waves were breaking into the boat, so that the boat was already filling. But he was in the stern, asleep on the cushion. And they woke him, and they said to him, Teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? And he awoke, and he rebuked the wind, and he said to the sea, Peace, be still. And the wind ceased, and there was a great calm. And he said to them, Why are you so afraid? Have you still no faith? And they were filled with great fear, and they said to one another, Who then is this that even the wind and the sea obey him? So I love reading God's word. That's no secret. And here's why. Every single time I read something, no matter how familiar it is, if I take it slow, and I think that that may be the key, okay, if I force myself not to gloss over the familiar story that I've heard since I was a little kid in, in Sunday school, every single time I end up making this noise. Huh. Every time. Are you familiar with that noise? That light bulb moment? Boom. Huh. Right? Every time. I'm reading this book... Uh, right now. It's called Reading the Bible with Rabbi Jesus. Uh, the author's name is Lois, I'm going to butcher her name, Tverberg, T-V-E-R-B-E-R-G. I highly recommend grabbing this book. It's so much fun. You know, outside of just reading scripture, I'm reading this book, and at one point what she talks about is how colorful the Hebrew language is. That the Hebrew language only had 8,000 words. Right, and yet they a lot of words would have what she called uh, like a dual-edged purpose to them. It could mean one thing or it could mean something else depending on the context, right? And she talks about this, and and she you know of course acknowledges that the New Testament was written in Greek. Most of us know that, but 
we have to remember that it was written in Greek with a Hebrew mindset. So they're still applying their, what they grew up with at this passage here about these disciples in the boat all right and it says here they were filled with great fear okay the hebrew word for fear yira actually also has a double meaning it also means awe wonder it means reverence it means worship so yes they were fearful of the storm but they weren't fearful of Jesus they were in awe of Jesus because of the power and the authority that Jesus had to do what he just did Mark wants us to understand that Jesus is fully God but he is also fully man and, and we may not understand how that is but he wants us to accept it as true no matter what so before we get into the of this scene what we are all so familiar with I want you to notice this this was my huh moment while I was reading Jesus has been teaching near the Sea of Galilee we looked at that last week right and afterwards he wanted a break he wanted a chance to rest from the crowds so he decided to take a boat with the Apostles to the opposite shore where there were no large towns because if there were no large towns there wouldn't be large masses of people it's not that Jesus didn't want to see people or interact with them but what occurred to me maybe for the first time reading this was to not initially focus so much on what I knew that he was going to do with the power and the authority of God it occurred to me that it also reveals the true human side of Jesus. He needed rest. He needed time away from the, from the crowds, from the demands. He was exhausted, so exhausted even that the battering of that storm in the boat didn't wake him up. Jesus was probably mentally tired, more so than physically, but could have been equally physically tired as well. And I, I never really realized how tired mentally can make you. I'm not that bright. I mean, you know, I don't use this that much, right? But then, as this opportunity happened in my life, where God called me back and said, hey, I'm still waiting for you to do what I've asked you to do so many years ago. What I've discovered now, and I'm not comparing myself in any way to Jesus, is that on Sunday afternoon, when I leave, I may go have lunch with family or have lunch with friends, but when I get home, I sit down on the couch. And for those of you who know me, you're going to know the, the, the weight of this next statement. I don't even turn on the TV. I sit on the couch and the dog seems to know. She just jumps up on the couch next to me and she puts her head in my lap and she just does this thing. And we just sit there. We call it post-sermon puppy snuggles, right? And, and, and it's, it's a thing. It's like I, I need a recharge, you know? I'm just, because there's, this may not look like much, but there's a lot to get from Monday to here 
or you know whenever all this starts and then you know sunday morning you know when when things are we're going boom 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 boom. you know it was it was the kings and 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 uh the hammies and and me running around today trying to get everything ready for sunday morning so there's there's to it you know and i'm thinking poor jesus these massive crowds everybody coming not only to to to, for him to teach to but for him to heal and, and what, what that had to drain out of him, you know? So he was mentally and physically tired at that point. I get it. I do. You know, there, there's an account later in the, in the Gospels of a woman who was being healed by Jesus. But Jesus didn't actively heal her. What it says in, in Luke's Gospel, in, in Luke um, 8.46, she touched the hem of his robe and was healed. Remember that account? And it says, but Jesus said, someone touched me. He's in this massive crowd, right? Someone touched me, for I perceive that power has gone out from me. Now, we can't pretend to understand the power of God or the effect that the power of God might have on a human body. But it appears here that Jesus can at least sense it when some of that power leaves his body. I get this image of the battery on my cell phone. You know, when it's fully green, I'm good, right? And then it starts creeping its way down. We were in New York City uh, the day after Christmas several years ago, and they were having record cold temperature. And y'all know me, i got to have my phone on me, right? And so we were out, and it's like, sub-zero weather and we were bundled up and I reached to, to get my phone out because like any tourist I had to pull the map thing up so we could figure out where we were going and I literally watched the icon on my phone go because of the cold I thought okay we got to get somewhere warm doesn't matter where we go right at this point so I'm, I'm kind of imagining that and I don't think that there was a limit I'm not saying there was a limit to Jesus's battery okay But we do see here that he needed downtime, he needed prayer, he needed sleep, whatever it was, to work within the limits of the part of him that is fully human as well as fully God. Now God can certainly do everything and God can do anything. But Jesus is, he's showing that the same basic needs that we need, he needed as well. Christ's humanity was part of what qualified him to do what he did for us, to be our intercessor. We just sang about that. In Hebrews uh, chapter 2, the author says this, Therefore, he had to be made like his brothers, like us, okay, in every respect, so that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in the service of God, to make propitiation for the sins of the people, to make an atonement, to step in for us. He had to be that way. Although scripture doesn't say which of the apostles were in the boat with Jesus, you can kind of almost imagine, right, that you've got, you've got Jesus here in the boat and, and Mark's account mentions that Jesus is sleeping on a cushion, now, I thought for me that's pretty specific. And Peter was the one who dictated his memories to Mark. 
So I'm imagining that, that Peter was there in the boat, and probably some of these other rather seasoned fishermen, like Andrew and like James and like John. And these men are quite familiar with being in a boat. That's what they did for a living. And the Sea of Galilee was famous for these raging storms that would just come out of nowhere all of a sudden. So imagine the magnitude of this storm that these seasoned fishermen were so scared that they were going to die from all of this. And it's significant that Jesus' sleep was so sound even through such a horrible storm which was, it was, they said, already filling the boat, right? So yeah, there's a lot of rain and all of this. It, it reminded me of this passage in, in, in the Psalms, Psalm 4.8. It says, In peace I will both lie down and sleep. For you alone, O Lord, make me dwell in safety. Jesus was at peace. Jesus had nothing to fear. I mean, come on, it was his idea to get in the boat, go across the sea, right? Jesus is fully God. He's omniscient. He knew the storm was coming. He knew what was going to happen. In peace, I will both lie down and sleep. For you alone, O God, make me dwell in safety. How's your sleep been? It's been peaceful? Jesus was at peace. This is why, after Jesus was awakened, that he asked them, why are you so afraid? Have you no faith? Why? The apostles' lack of faith reminds us, though, that even those who lived and walked with Jesus, who saw his miracles firsthand, who heard his teaching, still found it difficult to be 100% faithful. Right? 100% faith-filled, I should say, all the time. You see that the storm is also a representation of those storms that we go through in our lives. Every storm. The hardships that Jesus promised we would have when he said, in this world, you will have tribulation. He didn't say, in this world, you might. He said, you will. And I think everyone here today can attest to that. The disciples are a lot like us, aren't they? In the face of the storm, a literal storm here, Okay, They fear and they doubt. But if Jesus is able to rescue the apostles from the storm, then the truth is he's able to rescue us from the storms of everyday life. The storms of, of sickness, the storms of job loss, of marriage problems, of, of the sting of death. All of those storms. When that storm hit the boats on the Sea of Galilee and the waves are breaking into the boat so that the boat was already filling. Did you catch what the disciples said to him? They said this, Teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? 
Isn't it fascinating to read those words? Think of how they must have been said. It certainly wasn't, excuse me, you don't care. I mean, they're in the middle of this massive storm, right? Jesus is asleep, and they're freaking out. So they're full of fear, they're full of anger, they're full of panic. They're full, it's, it's all emotion-based at this point. It's not only the storm that is raging, the disciples are raging. Jesus is asleep in the boat, and, and they're at the wit's end here. They don't know what to do. They're raging in the midst of a raging storm. And what it shows is their lack of faith. Their question, don't you care, is indignant to ask Jesus. Of course Jesus cared. Nobody cares more than Jesus. Now before we come down too hard on the disciples, we need to remember that they are still just growing in their faith at this point as we all are. They're on a similar journey, right? They, they may have questioned Jesus' care for them, but at least they had the idea that he might be able to do something about it, right? He might be able to fix this problem. So it shows that they, they knew he had some sort of extraordinary power. They knew that. So my question is, can you relate? Can you relate to that? Have you ever been in a situation where your fear and your emotions get the better of you? You get to a point where you just cry out to God, don't you care? We've all been there. Maybe some of you are there right now. Like the disciples, you know God can do anything. You're just faced with that helpless feeling. That feeling of, of not being able just to take the reins away from God. I'll do it myself. I'll do it faster. I'll do it better. He will never leave his children alone in the midst of trouble. With perseverance, they will overcome. James, the little brother of Jesus, he wrote this in James 1.12. He said, Blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial. For when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life, which God has promised to those who love him. When he stood the test, which we're all going to stand, and it's going to look different for every single person, but remain steadfast. And this can be immensely comforting to the Christian in a storm. Faith in Christ is never misplaced. If he can calm the storms of the sea with one word, he can calm the storms of life as well. I think there's a, a very specific reason why Jesus uttered the words that he uttered. What did he say? He said, peace, be still. He calms the storm, but he also calms those who are going through the storm. The disciples were awestruck as the wind and the waves actually obeyed this guy. I mean, just stopped, right? 
The authority that Jesus showed gave them a clue to who he really was. There's this great quote by the novelist Charles Dudley Warner. He joked once, he said, you know, everybody talks about the weather, but nobody ever does anything about it. (laughs) I was thinking about that yesterday while we were so cold yesterday morning, but it got better, you know, as the day went on, right? Well, Jesus can actually do something about it, clearly, right? He's the only one who can. So after rebuking the storm, Jesus issues a rebuke to his disciples as well. Why are you so afraid? Do you still have no faith? In essence, he was saying, peace, be still, calm down. I was always in complete control. I was right here with you in the boat. So Mark picks it up in in chapter 5. Their journey ends and it says, They came to the other side of the sea, to the country of the Gerasenes. And when Jesus had stepped out of the boat, immediately there met him, out of the tombs, a man with an unclean spirit. He lived among the tombs, and no one could bind him anymore, not even with a chain. For he had often been bound with shackles and chains, but he wrenched the chains apart and he broke the shackles in pieces. No one had the strength to subdue him. Night and day among the tombs and on the mountains, he was always crying out and cutting himself with stones. Now Jesus visits this region of of the Gerasenes. It's a Gentile region. And he's immediately confronted by a demon-possessed man who has lived among the tombs for a very long time. He he cuts himself with stones, and he he couldn't be kept in captivity. The language in this section clearly shows that many have tried, because it, it says no one could bind him anymore. He was breaking chains and, and getting out of manacles. That's no easy feat. We get this insight into the, the purpose of the unclean spirit. It's making this man hurt himself. It's making this man suffer to destroy himself. He's displaying this massive strength. And you, but can you even fathom the toll that this is taking on this man's body? Not just the cutting, but the toll of this unclean spirit. A very, very dark version of what we were talking about between Jesus being fully God and fully man. But this guy's got the, this unclean spirit, and we're going to find out which is actually more than just one in there. Now, it's not just Jesus' disciples that are recognizing his power and his authority as being fully God. Because in in Mark 5, 6, it picks up and it says, And when he, being the demon-possessed man, saw Jesus from afar, he ran and he fell down before him. And crying out with a loud voice, he said, What have you to do with me, Jesus, Son of the Most High God? I adjure you by God, do not torment me. Now, I can't imagine Jesus being a tormentor. That is the furthest thing from the truth. 
What does he mean by that? Do not torment me. Well, it's the spirit inside saying, do not torment me. Because it recognized the power and the authority of Jesus. It knew Jesus had the power to cast it out of the man. Out of that host. But once it's cast out, what happens? It has to return to where it came from. In Luke's gospel, Jesus tells a parable of a rich man. In Luke 16 yeah, is, is where this is. And, and I want to read just this little tiny section to you. It says this. The rich man also died and was buried, and in Hades, being in torment, he lifted up his eyes and he saw Abraham. The, the description of being in Hades is being in torment. So this spirit that's speaking to Jesus does not want to be cast out of this man because he's going back to torment. While the spirit is calling this out, Jesus does something interesting. He asks the spirit its name. And the spirit says, we are legion for we are many. I kind of get this idea in my head that it was trying to posture a little bit to Jesus. Or they were. Because it's legion is a military term. It was very common. People knew it. A legion was typically around 5,000 soldiers strong. So at, at this point, it's almost like, uh, you know, we are stronger than you think we are. And yet, on the other hand... Therefore, they, being a force to be reckoned with in battle, they're still subservient to the authority of Jesus being fully God. So the spirits, in this case, beg to be cast into some nearby pigs. They're reduced to begging in the face of his power. Are you familiar with this story? Has the big thing ever thrown you? It's thrown me. I have to confess. Like, why would they do that? And why did Jesus say okay to that? Well, it says in, in Mark 5, 11, Now a great herd of pigs was feeding there on the hillside, and they begged him, saying, Send us to the pigs. Let us enter them. So he gave them permission. And the unclean spirits came out and entered the pigs, and the herd, numbering about 2,000, rushed down the steep bank into the sea and drowned in the sea. Why the demons begged to be allowed to enter the pigs is not clear. It could be because they didn't want to have to return to Hades. They were desperate for anything. Maybe they didn't want to leave the area because they've, they've been there a while and they, and they thought, well, maybe after Jesus and his, his crew take off, we can get back to that guy. We can repossess. In Matthew 12, beginning in verse 43, Jesus actually describes the behavior in an analogy about Israel. He says, when the unclean spirit has gone out of a person, it passes through waterless places, 
seeking rest, but it finds none. Then it says, I will return to my house, back to my host, right? From which I came, and when it comes, it finds the house empty, swept, and put in order. Then it goes, and it brings with it seven other spirits, more evil than itself. And they enter and dwell there, and the last state of that person is worse than the first. So maybe it was just avoiding that inevitable return to Hades and, and this idea that they could just wait it out. But whatever their reasoning, it's clear from this account that they had to ask permission to do anything. Permission from Jesus, who has the power and the authority as fully God. As Christians, you know, we can take comfort in the knowledge that, that the forces of the enemy of our souls are under the complete control of God. And they can only act in the way that God allows. Now, this last section of our reading, we're going to take a little bit of a jump here, okay, takes our focus from Jesus being fully God to an issue of people only seeing Jesus as fully man. Alright, so in, in Mark chapter 6, beginning in verse 1, it says this. He went away from there, and he came to his hometown. And his disciples followed him. And on the Sabbath he began to teach in the synagogue. And many who heard him were astonished, saying, Where did this man get these things? What is this wisdom that is given to him? How are such mighty works done by his hands? It's not, is not this the carpenter, the son of Mary, and brother of James, and Joseph, and Judas, and Simon, and are not his sisters here with us? And they took offense to him, or offense at him, excuse me. Jesus returned to his hometown with disciples. It's important to note that. Okay, Jesus has disciples with him, which makes Jesus a rabbi. But in Jewish culture, to be a rabbi, you had to be ordained by a rabbi. Jesus was never ordained by a rabbi. So these people who have known Jesus since he was this big, running around playing stickball with his friends in Nazareth or wherever, you know, all of this, are seeing Jesus return with disciples, and they immediately do what, quite frankly, a lot of us would do in a similar situation. They take an attitude. Who's this guy I think he is? What gives him the right to come and do this? And Jesus, you know, comes and, and, and he, you can almost just, just hear them, who do you think you are? Right? So Jesus responds to this in uh, verse 4. He says, and Jesus, it says, and Jesus said to them, a prophet is not without honor except in his hometown and among his relatives, and in his own household. And he could do no mighty work there, except that he laid his hands on a few sick people and healed them. And he marveled because of their unbelief. And he went about among the villages teaching. The idea of Jesus being a prophet without honor just sort of speaks to this phenomena that my wife and I have coined the diaper changing phenomena. It's something we came up with, I don't even remember how, all right? 
But it goes something like this. Okay, no matter what life has taught you, or your education has taught you, or your job has taught you, no matter what, okay, when you are trying to interact with somebody who knew you back when you were this big, or worse, changed your diapers, they are never going to take you as seriously as someone else. Because in their mind, they still see you as the person whose diaper they changed. Okay? And it's true, okay? It's it's something that, that you struggle with as you become older as a child and you try to speak something to your parents, you know, say, you know, a little bit of, of you know, learned wisdom or something, and they're just kind of, yeah, okay, okay, sure, sure. Yeah, you know. And here's the honest truth. I wrote this from the perspective of somebody who remembers having conversations with my parents and being very frustrated, okay, growing up but now I'm guilty of the same thing with my own kids who are adults. Sometimes they say something and I say, oh, okay, sure, sure. You you think what you think. Dad already knows everything, right? And it's not true. But it's the diaper-changing phenomenon, and we're all guilty of it as human beings. I don't know why we are, but, but we are, right? We're just not likely to take the words of somebody that we see this way very seriously. And in their eyes, okay, they're still seeing in some, some way Jesus as that person. Jesus as that carpenter who learned at the feet of Joseph and, and you know, had a trade before he went into ministry. So this phenomenon prevented many people, the people of Nazareth, from seeing Jesus as anything more than just fully man. Jesus is unable to do works kind of threw me a little bit. That, that statement that, that Jesus was unable to do works because of their unbelief. Because I believe that God can do anything. God doesn't need me to believe in order for him to make an, an impact. So I really had to kind of take that apart a little bit and spend some time with that. I don't know if you've ever kind of worked your way through that. And here's what I came up with. If If faith in who Jesus was as fully God was not part of the package, if you will, for these people in Nazareth, if they weren't in on the whole thing, then anything Jesus did that was supernatural would appear to be supernatural in a bad way. It would appear to be magic or sorcery. And that would not help the cause of God's kingdom. And so I think that's why it says that Jesus was limited in what he could do because they weren't in for the whole thing. Their lack of faith kept them from accepting the full truth. See, they had to see Jesus for who he truly was. Bully God. Because he has the power and the authority to save. Fully human, fully man. Because he lived as a human to be able to see us with compassion, to understand our struggles, and to know our limitations intimately. Amen? I'm going to invite the worship team up to close us. Let me pray for us.
Lord, I, I confess that um, the closer we come to you, the closer we, we get to know you, the more exciting it is. It just is. But Father, uh, it's always going to be a bit of a mystery because you are so magnificent. You are so beyond our comprehension in so many ways. And that just makes the fact that you chose to be fully human that much more amazing. The amount of love that you must have had and still have for us to do that, to be fully God and also fully human so that you could be close to us so that we could understand you and draw close to you even though that was thousands of years ago God we can still draw close to you that's our prayer today that through the truth of the gospel through the power of the Holy Spirit that we would draw close and closer and closer to you and all God's people said Amen That worship and that truth is so beautiful. I'm not going to step all over that with anything else, but I, I do uh, just want to thank you all for being here. I want to remind you that uh, next week is Easter, and so we're going to take a little break from our regular series. We're going to be talking about the greatest comeback story of all time. So I hope that you will join us uh, next week, whether that's online, whether that's here locally. Uh, we love you. Have a blessed week. If you need any prayer, come see me. I'll be up here, and uh, have a great week.